And with that background, we come now to chapter 28. And I want to read a few verses from the beginning of chapter 28 and a few more in the middle of 28 and then really focus on our key text tonight. So Aaron is the brother of Moses. They're of the tribe of Levi. And this is the beginning of the Levitical priesthood. Chapter 28, verse 1. God says to Moses, Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. And these are the garments which they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They shall make the holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Then we get the details of how these garments will look and whatnot, and we pick it up again in verse 29, where it's describing Aaron as the high priest, which is distinct from the other priest, because he goes into the holiest place of the Lord, where the Ten Commandments are once a year on Yom Kippur, And we're given a few more details about Aaron, and we want to pick this up in verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. So he had the 12 tribes represented on his heart with 12 stones with what he would wear. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urm and the Thunim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now, Jesus, of course, is our great high priest, and this speaks of things that he would do for us. He bears us on his heart. You know, he carries us, and that's a whole other Bible study. But tonight, as we think about Aaron, he was to, on behalf of the people, minister to the Lord, and he was to have the people on his heart, a heart for, and it was all the people. They were over his heart and to bear their burdens. Then later on, God would describe for him that when he ministered, he would wear this turban that said holiness to the Lord, but not the other priest, just him. And from there we come down where it says in verse 40, focusing back on Aaron's sons. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes like belts for them. And you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them. With him, You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. So this is the Levitical priesthood and the instructions of it for the tribe of Levi, Aaron the high priest, his four sons and the successors would come from him directly to be high priest, but there's only one high priest. And then the Levites, and the service of the tabernacle. And eventually when Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, 930 BC, so 600 years after this, when the temple was built, they continued this priesthood, but in the temple instead of the tabernacle. So it's like 1500 year run of the Levites, the priests, and what they did. And this is the beginning of it. So I want to draw your attention to this phrase in verse one, that he may minister to me, that he may minister to me. Then later on in verse 3, it says that he may, to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. And then we saw in verse 41, anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they may 
minister to me. Also, with the garments that they wore, it's interesting, they were holy garments. And all believers get details like, you know, that we're clothed in robes of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. You shall make the holy garments, verse 2, for Aaron your brother, for glory and beauty. And then again, he said later on in verse 40, for the Levites, the garments were for glory and beauty. So let me begin tonight as we talk about our priesthood to bear in mind that we're all called the priesthood, male and female here tonight, the priesthood of being disciples of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter, we are told that we are a royal priesthood. And whether we're a young girl or an old man of whatever ethnicity we are anywhere on the planet, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we enter into this symbolic priesthood. And what these guys did and their families for 1,500 years is taken by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and broadened for us to understand that principles of who they were and what they did are for us. In fact, we're told there by Peter the Apostle in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a, a chosen people, a special people, and a priesthood. And it goes to all, it's, it's called the priesthood of all believers. In fact, Martin Luther, Martin Luther when in the Great Reformation, that the priesthood of all believers was one of the central tenets of his rejection of the Catholic Church at that time that there's a priesthood of all believers. So there's not a hierarchy that these guys have or these people have better access than anyone else, but we can all come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's actually referred to as the priesthood of all believers. And again, so we think of the youngest girls, maybe in our children's ministry, that have a relationship with Christ and the oldest men in our sanctuary that have a relationship with Christ to take the two genders and put them on different generations. We have equal access and we're called to a priesthood. And if you want to flip it to the older women and the youngest boys, it's equal access. For we know in Galatians that there's neither male nor female. So the priesthood is universal and it's for everybody. Because God so loved the world, he gave his son for the world. So that priesthood is very important, the universal priesthood. And we're told here that the priesthood for them was to minister to the Lord. And really when we think about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus Christ, he calls us. We don't call him. If you've watched that series, the eight-part series, The Chosen, that's out there on YouTube right now, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It is so good. And you can see it. I mean, I, I had people tell me about it, and we watch it. I'm a binger, so I watch like, like, you know. If Jennifer let me stay up all night, I would have watched it one night. But in The Chosen, Jesus, when he calls Peter and Matthew, you just really get a feel for how it is. But they were called... And we come after Christ and we follow him and we serve him. And we enter into that calling and that purpose. Jesus isn't, as most of you are very aware, not up there to be subservient to us. He came down here to save us from ourselves that we can be restored to the Father and enter into that will and plan he has for our life. And we love him because he first loved us. And we're called into this priesthood. And we're told in 1 Peter, again, that we offer up praises and sacrifices. We're being built together, a holy habitation of spiritual stones. So it goes from the priesthood there in 1 Peter chapter 2 to actually describing us as being like the stones that build the temple, that we all have our part and our place of every tongue, tribe, and nation in the body of Christ. So we're a priesthood with the Holy Spirit. And ours is far superior to this with the New Testament understanding. And we are 
called as disciples of Christ, when we give our life to Christ, to, to minister to the Lord, to offer up praises, and to be serving the Lord. If any man comes out after me or a woman comes after me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. That's our priesthood. But the garments are for beauty and glory. And let me just say this. Is there anything more beautiful than a woman totally sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there anything more handsome than a man totally sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ? My good friend Tony Clark there in Newport News, I remember driving home one night when he used to be on K-Wave, and he said, women love a godly man. And he's like, women love a godly man. I thought, man, I need more godly. I want to be more godly because I want my wife to love me more, right? Women love a godly man. There is nothing more beautiful than a spirit-filled woman or spirit-filled man for beauty and glory. You know, to have the soft answer, to have the love of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing more beautiful than that. You know, when you're all in for Jesus, it's the most beautiful thing for the planet. The planet's a whole lot better because of you. You're part of the solution, not part of the problem. So we're, we're called to be priests of the Lord, and our lives are to be for beauty and glory. Our lives should be cloaked in beauty and glory with all those attributes of Christ and those characters of Christ. Now, down here at verse 40, with Aaron and his sons, as we think about being called to be priests, New Testament priests, male and female, called with beauty and glory, we read that in that glory and beauty, they're to come before Moses, and we'll see this as we go forward, that they were to be anointed, consecrated, and sanctified. So let's talk about these things here. To be anointed. So we're called to the priesthood, and we come to this first statement to be anointed. And there are distinctions between anointed, consecrated, and sanctified. And that's what we really want to kind of distinguish here before we get Danny back up here to lead us in some more worship. Anointed. In the church, we, you know, when you get saved and you're following Christ, you kind of get these, you learn these new dialects. You know, you might call it Christianese or whatever. Like, but people are like, oh, he's anointed. She's anointed. You're like, anointed? Like, what is that? You know, like, if you're coming from a, a non-religious background, you wouldn't know what it means. But we use that term anointed or like there's a double portion because God put a double portion of his spirit upon Elisha in the Old Testament. We say they're anointed. Someone's anointed. They're just spirit-filled. That woman's anointed. When Anne Graham Watts speaks, Billy Graham's daughter, she speaks with authority and anointing. I'd say Beth Moore speaks with authority and anointing. When my son-in-law, Nate Gallagher, teaches, and you, many of them teach, he has a double portion. That guy teaches with anointing. So the idea of anointing is that the spirit of God is upon someone and has equipped them and empowered them to be who they're meant to be and do what they're called to do. So in the priesthood, the anointing, and they pour the anointing oil on the priest, that anointing oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone for their life in being equipped by the power of God to do the call of God. So when we think about ourselves, if we're, you know, we've given our life to Christ and we're living for Jesus, the anointing oil for us is the power of the Holy Spirit upon our life. And you see in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God came upon different people at different times, and women as well, but not always with them. 
But once Christ came, and he gives us on a fuller capacity, and the greatest illustration of the anointing, of course, is the birth of the church age with the day of Pentecost, where the anointing is visible with the tongues of fire over their heads as they're preaching. Tongues of fire came upon them. Now, this anointing is amazing because God empowered them to preach boldly and with authority in what we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was upon them and over them. And just a reminder, he took over their intellect because these men spoke in languages they had not previously spoken in. So again, if you've ever tried to learn a foreign language and how challenging it is now, it took years to learn Spanish, and my Spanish is reasonable. It works. It's reasonable. But in working on Russian for eight months, Russian is very hard. It conjugate verbs like, like Latin languages, but the letters don't look the same. It's all profoundly different. And at times, I'm just like, when you're trying to learn the Russian alphabet and you look at the letters, there's like 33 of them. And five of them are the same as the English letters and sound the same, and they're called friends. There's about another seven letters in the Russian alphabet that look like English letters, and they're called enemies because they don't sound or do what they do in the English alphabet. And then there's strangers, these weird symbols that are strangers, and new friends. That's how you learn the Russian alphabet. It's very hard to learn a foreign language. Now, some people learn languages easier than others, like my son Luke learned you know, he's fluent in Mandarin. The point is, the anointing that came upon them on the day of Pentecost is, you can have a phone app that you learn Russian or Spanish or German or Italian or French, any language you want to learn, but these guys got up that day, everyday people, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and the tongues of fire were visible over them, and they spoke with full capacity of foreign languages that they had never spoken before. And the people who spoke those languages understood those languages. You know the ultimate compliment you get when you're speaking a foreign language is your accent's good. Your accent's good. Now, if English is your primary language and you hear someone speaking English as their second language, especially like an Eastern European, it has a very sound, the way they, English sounds. Or say, for example, you're flying uh, Lantama Airlines to Chile, to Santiago, and the stewardess is speaking, the, the flight attendant is speaking, and Spanish is her first language, English is her second language. When she speaks English, it has certain sounds that you can immediately recognize it's their second language. Well, when the anointing came upon them on the day of Pentecost, I just picture all of them speaking the languages fluently with the right accent. That's how I picture this, because God doesn't come up short. He doesn't come up like, uh, like he can't close the deal. God is perfect, and his way is perfect. So the anointing that came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost was the tongues of fire visible and the speaking and the glorifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaiming to the people in Jerusalem where people were just like going, man, Joey Baran is crushing it right now with Russian. And I understand it because I speak Russian. Da! You know, privyet. Dozidanye. Spokinonochi. Yes! You know, like he speaks Russian. That was the anointing that came upon them. I think people underestimate Acts chapter 2. Because that anointing is so powerful, so supernatural, and Jesus told them to wait for it and it would come upon them. And then we're told to have the same anointing. In fact, the Calvary Chapel movement is essentially dedicated to having that anointing upon us. You want to have that overflowing of the Spirit and the anointing that empowers you to just have an incredible fruitfulness from the Lord to fulfill what he's called you to do. But we know that we can quench the spirit, we can grieve the spirit, or we can be filled with the spirit. We want to get the anointing. 
So they put the anointing oil on their heads as priests. We get the anointing oil by spending time at the feet of Jesus in our prayer life. And we let him dismantle things that are contrary to him, and we let them go. Attitudes, actions, dispositions that are displeasing to the Lord. And we let them go. And we press in, and we let his word work in us, and we meditate upon his word. And we are filled with this word, and we're filled with the spirit. And we are everyday people, but we have the supernatural power of heaven. And you might not speak Russian fluently or Spanish or whatever, but the same power that empowered them on the day of Pentecost can be and should be our power going forward from post-COVID-19 as the Church of Jesus Christ in the summer of 2020. Get the anointing oil. Get the anointing for your priesthood. Press in hard for the anointing for your priesthood. Whatever God has called you to do, single, married, father, grandfather, uncle, aunt, whatever it is, in your standing in society and in your place in the church and your functioning community, get it all. Get it all. Because Jesus said, if an earthly father is not going to give you bad things, how much more will the heavenly father give you the good things when you ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit? This is one thing we can ask for according to his will and know he promises to give it. And the church needs some fire right now. Not wrath fire, but Holy Spirit fire. To just be on fire. You look at the ministry of uh, Ben Corson just flourishing right now. Like Ben Corson is just like, I mean, if it were baseball, he's already in the major leagues. Like the, he would play one week in double A and he's in the big leagues. Like Ben Corson, John Corson's son is just incredible. And when he preached two years ago at the event in Pacific Amphitheater, I thought, my goodness, there's a double portion on that young man. And, uh, you know, now he's on every day on TBN and this and that and everything else. And you just think like, who knows how far you can go with your anointing? I guess you just have to find out, right? It's your priesthood. It's my priesthood. It doesn't have to be big and grand, but it definitely needs to be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit for what we're doing. Because we don't want to do things in the flesh. So whatever we're called to do, though it seems insignificant, maleki, or bashaya, which is large. See, there's a Russian word right there. Teeny, seems like a teeny thing in the thing that people see, or a big thing. Hey, you still want to have the anointing. You want to have the anointing. The second thing is we see the consecration. And there's a, there's a slight distinction between consecration and sanctification. I would put it this way, just like how there's a distinction between knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in the book of Proverbs. There's a little subtle difference here. Consecration is essentially what you're alive for. You're consecrated. It's like when, I guess they're going to play high school football, because Nick's going back to play football in a few weeks. And as the coach looks over the team, and he starts to put people in, it's like, okay, you're O-line, D-line, you're, you know, you're running back, linebacker, you know, you know. You know how it works in football. You're a wide receiver, DB, whatever. And you begin to, and, and so they sort of designate where they think you're going to be. And if you're on the line, like, I think you're better on the outside line, so you're going to be a, a you know, a, you're going to be left tackle over here or inside right guard. You, you know, you, you, you find your place. And you kind of settle into your place. That, in, with the Lord, that's your consecration. Like, it's where you land what you're meant for. It's you in the perfect fit. It's you, like, right in that sweet spot. When we looked at the life of Isaac, we remember he dug wells digging for water. There were his father's wells, and he was reclaiming them. But he dug wells, and there was a well of contention, and then there was a well of strife where the herdsmen 
of the region argue with him. He's like, yeah, let it go. But then he came to that third well, and it was called the well of spaciousness. Because there, he, it was his well, it was spacious, he found his sweet spot, and he flourished in it. The well of spaciousness. That's your consecration. It's you fulfilling your, your destiny, your real purpose. What makes you think the way you think? What makes you wired the way you're wired? It's you in the perfect fit. You know, in the business world, they say she was a good fit or he, he was, it was a bad fit. He was a bad fit. It was a good effort and we had good motives, but it just wasn't the right fit. Classic example, I'm not afraid to say it, Calvary Costa Mesa, 2002 to 2004. Pastor Chuck brought in Brian Broderson, John Corson, Don McClure, and then eventually Skip Heisig, and all these super generals. It just it wasn't a good fit. Remember the Lakers with Carl Malone and Gary Payton and Shaq and Kobe? That was the most amazing team on paper. Like, oh, four Pete, four Pete. Where's like, no. Detroit, Detroit Pistons, a bunch of no-names, wiped them out four straight. Because just because it looks good on paper doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be. It's the right fit. Consecration is the right fit. It's the sweet spot. It's you being exactly who you're supposed to be according to the will of God in your life. And since our whole world's been decimated, as we understood it in a lot of ways, as we begin to come out of the rubble from COVID-19 and figure out we go back to work, some of us lost our jobs permanently, still some have our jobs. My sister, you know, she... When COVID-19 hit, she had been sober and clean for two years, working there at Macy's, still living in the halfway house, and almost having her license restored. She comes out of COVID-19. She's not living in the halfway house. She's got her fully restored driver's license, essentially. And she's back at Macy's. There were 11 women that worked in that department, 11 people in her department with shoes down there at Mission Valley, right by Qualcomm. Now there's three. But that's, she's going back where she left off, right? Like she was furloughed and then the big boss called her. She's so excited, the big boss called her and said, would you like to come back? So they brought back three of the 11 and she's super excited, but she was crying on Friday because people were yelling at her over mask. And uh, she's like, what can I do to make you happy? Like, what can I do to make this happy? Because she just wants peace, right? How many of us feel that way? What, can we just have peace? But we're all rebuilding. We're all going forward. Like, we're all going forward to new things. And as we go forward to new things, I think it's a good word for us to think about, what am I consecrated to? And if you know, great. Like my sister, she's right back to where she was, and she's going to be at Macy's, and maybe God will open another door for her. Like She has vision for other jobs that she can do, but if that's what she wants to do right now, it's a good fit. But the consecration is you in the perfect fit. That's really what it is. And you might have your perfect fit. You might be praying about your new fit. You might be looking for the new fit. But the consecration from the Lord is you in the perfect fit. In your vocation, you look for the right fit. Your role in the community, society, you look for the right fit. That's consecration. This is what you're, you're called to do. Your consecration. It's the right fit. When you just know you're in the center of God's perfect will, that is your consecration. And as you look in the mirror tonight... Where you are is where you are. It's like the mall. You are here. And you, that might just be the perfect fit completely right now, or you might be seeking the perfect fit. But again, if not after COVID-19, when would you ever make the time more than now to seek the Lord for what the perfect fit is? Find your consecration. And if you already have it, great. Find another gear. But if you're not sure, 
find your consecration and, and, and really pour it on. And then be sanctified. So they were to be anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them. And that's that set apart. So again, this is what really is the distinction of the church. We can never expect the world to do things that the church is entrusted to do. We're to lead by example. We're to bring Christ into every situation. We're set apart. We're set apart. Jack McCune was here last week leading worship, and he played that song, where, where there's hatred, let me bring peace and love and all that stuff. You know, Let me be an instrument of your love and grace. And that's who we are. So as we go back to work, as we go back to our sports teams, as we go back to church, with our, you know, as, as our kids go back to school and we're involved with the school board or whatever, as we begin to really go back out there, we need to be set apart in our disposition of how we think according to the Lord, and we need to carry ourselves appropriately. For as it says in Corinthians, what fellowship has Christ with Belial? We are, we are, we're peculiar people, literally what it means in the Greek. We are set apart. And our identity is in Christ. And we're sanctified. And that sanctification is becoming more like Christ through every experience. So I'm really hoping that Romans 8.28 applies to all of our lives here tonight. I'm really hoping that all things have worked together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose during this time. I'm really hoping that after 12 weeks of no church, that this has worked together for good in your life. And you're more set apart now than ever before with the anointing, the consecration to the calling to fulfill what God has for your life, whether you're younger or older, that there's a better version of you and me in the mirror in Jesus Christ 12 weeks later to the strangest thing we've ever seen in our lifetime, through the strangest thing we have ever seen in our lifetime, what we've been through. In an uncertain future, sanctified and set apart for Christ is absolute certainty. That'll never change. In fact, I'm just now finishing my book on Ivan Prokhanov. And I've been quoting this if you follow the online. It's one of the most ama- I've read so many biographies. I'm a biography book, not a theology book guy. Not that I'm opposed to theology. I'm just a, I like to be inspired by life stories. But Ivan Prokhanov, the Russian pastor, born about 1870 in the Caucasus, down there in the Georgia Chechnya region. It's interesting. I, I, I Googled something in YouTube. I, was, I, I watch history things on YouTube. And there was a history thing that said, the five worst times to be alive on planet Earth. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Five worst times. The f- number one on the list was to be alive between 1890 and 1960. Why? Well, Civil World War I, Spanish flu, Great Depression, World War II, the nuclear age. By the way, the worst place to be alive between 1890 and 1960, Russia. Because that's the Bolsheviks, the Soviets, that's Lenin, Stalin, millions of people, the death camps, the gulags, all that stuff. So Ivan Prokhanov lived on planet Earth as a serious believer of Jesus Christ at the worst time you could be alive, according to YouTube, in human history. He was a Russian male during that time. He was imprisoned twice, once under the the regime of the czars, the old school, and the Bolsheviks, the new school. And there's so much to learn from this man's life. I normally don't take this long in a book, but I'm just really digesting things as I go through this book. But near the end of his life, when he would die in exile in Germany, like 1935, so think what he was spared, right? Like he died, like already night of glass had happened. All that was unfolding in but he stepped into eternity. He was exiled from Russia. 
But he did all these incredible things for the Lord during his lifetime in Russia, came to America a couple times, was blessed by the American church. He was the leader. He was the evangelical leader for Russian believers from 1900 to 1930. And the, the impact of the church of Jesus Christ in Russia and the Russian republics under this man is incredible. But as he's wrapping up his life from his own words, Out of the Cauldron, it's a very hard book to get. Evidently, it costs about $80 to find it online. It was given to me by uh, Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries. And as he summed his life, and particularly the Russian Civil War, which cost millions of lives, and then all the oppression by the Soviets after that, he said, I have learned without a doubt that all things work together for good to those who love Jesus Christ. And no matter how severe the environment around us, that if we trust in Jesus, he will always bring about a good ending for those who press into him and trust in him. Now, I don't need to read a book to know that intellectually, but to read about someone who went to jail numerous times, I'll share you a story about this. The second time he was in prison, these, uh, the, Greek, the Greek priest hated the evangelicals, but then Stalin made them all bad, so then they got persecuted and murdered too during the Stalin, rise of Stalin in the early 20s. But some of them still had power, and this Greek priest hated Prokhanov, so he, and he had power. He worked for the, um, you know, like the pre forerunner to the KGB. And he falsely accused Prokhanov. And during a conference, a pastor's conference, they were all there in St. Petersburg. They were all arrested and taken to prison in 1923, 24, with hardened criminals. They had a great ministry in the prison. They were there for like three months. Incredible ministry. They heard people being let out to be shot every night. And, you know, they ministered to people who were under death sentences and who were executed and all that. But when he was released... They were released. They could never pin anything on them. Interestingly enough, not the key part of the story, is he didn't belong to any political parties. He made sure that they never identified with any political party whatsoever, that only Jesus Christ was their identity for their journey. So they could never be accused by the czars of favoring the Bolsheviks, and they could never be accused by the Bolsheviks of favoring the white army and the czarist. Never belonged to a political party. Therefore, when they had the accusations against them of, of insurrection against government, it could never stick to them. And so there, the second time in prison with those accusations, when he came through it, they found out it was his priest. He went back to the authorities and said, we need to forgive this man, and it's all good. We forgive him. That's who we need to be. He spent three months in prison eating rotten food, listening to people being murdered every night. And when he got out, he said, we need to forgive the person that did this to us. And the Bolsheviks like, niet, niet. <laughs> it's not that easy in the Russian way. They literally, the guy who put him in prison, they made that guy go to prison for the exact amount of days that Ivan Prokhanov was in prison. It's the Russian way. Actually, that's pretty merciful, right? Isn't that the law? An eye for an eye? Exactly what he gave to Prokhanov is exactly what he got. But we want to be the people who plead forgiveness for those who perpetrate us. That's what it means to be sanctified. And if there's open doors to print Bibles, we print Bibles. If there's opportunity to print tracts, we print tracts. He always had a vision, no matter how chaotic Russia was, that there's something bigger, stronger, deeper, and greater to do for the Lord. No matter what, no matter who is in power, that's what it means to be sanctified. And I'm glad the Lord's taking me through this book during 12 weeks of COVID-19. So worship generation, body of Christ, let us come through this understanding that we are ministers, priests to the Lord, and we worship and praise him, and coming from worship and praising him, it'll overflow to the rest of society. And we are clothed in beauty, the beauty of his presence.
the fragrance of Christ, as it says in the New Testament, coming from our life. And we are, in fact, anointed by the Holy Spirit supernaturally. So let's get more of the supernatural. I would love to look at your life and go like, wow, that is not you. That is so something beyond you. Yeah, and that's, I'd like you to look at me and say, wow, Joey Brand's like, find another gear at 60. Like, who could have thought it? Well, why not? Tongues of fire. Why not? If not the summer of 2020, when? If I don't get tongues of fire now, when would I want to get them? And to find that, find that, perfect sweet spot and fulfill it and have the life that matches it that's set apart glorifying Christ that our identity is completely in Jesus Christ and the rest is just afterglow and I know if this is what we do going forward in the summer of 2020 we're going to be more fruitful than we've ever been for the kingdom of God individually in our homes and in this church